Thank you, team. Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you as we continue our Time to Move sermon series as we work our way through the book of Acts. Uh, hopefully your Bible is open. We're going to be looking at almost the entirety of the first half of Acts 8 today in kind of a unique look. Quite often when we have taught about Acts 8, we'll focus on the second half of the chapter with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, which we'll actually cover next week. Today we get kind of a fresh look about Simon the sorcerer, about Philip going into Samaria, and God doing new things as we continue this Time to Move series. Will you pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for moments ahead to continue our trajectory towards you. And we pray that, Lord, that you would make this old story new again, and that every one of us in this room would be uh, under the authority of your scripture as we continue to learn more about the life that we live and more about your love for us, how you're moving us into new places. In your great name we pray, amen. Hopefully you have a bulletin in front of you uh, on which you see that our, our message title today is called The Gospel Moves Out. The Gospel Moves Out. We know that in Acts 1.8, which really is the thesis statement towards much of the second half of the New Testament, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. Now, not verb, it's who you are, not what you do. You'll, you'll witness about what you believe, uh, both in Jerusalem, where they currently were, and Judea, which was next to them, and in Samaria a little bit further, and to the ends of the earth. That comes in the first eight, cha- uh, first eight verses of chapter one. And here we are at Acts 8, and they're still all in Jerusalem still. Uh, it's time to move. And I don't know about you, but when you see a U-Haul and you see people moving, like for a lot of people, it's kind of like, oh man, this is, uh, this is dangerous. Like if any of your family or friends have moving day, that's a good weekend to be either out of town or laid up with a bad back. Am I correct? Because moving day means all hands on deck. And moving means, quite frankly, like something is changing. There's a new opportunity. There was a season for Heather and I where we were waiting to get married. And I used to, I lived in an apartment complex and I would see the U-Hauls come up like with other people coming and going. And I would get this like whimsy of like, oh, like when will our U-Haul day come? I was so excited about this next chapter of life. But here we are a couple years later, we'd moved to California and then we moved back. And uh, Heather was off with her mother and a grandmother on a trip, uh, and I had the job of unloading the U-Haul. Now, we had one of those U-Hauls, you know, like the mega U-Hauls, one of those when they hand you the keys, you kind of feel like you shouldn't be driving this, like, or it needs a special license. Who, who's with me? You know, and not only like the 40-footer or whatever, the extendo U-Haul, I also had a trailer behind me with a pickup truck on a trailer. So I'm like driving around, wiping out stop signs. And, you know, I, I had no business driving this thing, but showed up in Seattle uh, from LA, full of our stuff, and it needed to go into a brand new condominium that we lived in or just purchased in Fremont. So what do you do? You call your buddies, you call anybody, hey, all hands on deck, it's moving day. We're like, ah, oh, all right, moving day. So everyone shows up and we, we uh, you know, pull open the door and we start to, to take the furniture towards the door. And this is a tri-level condominium. And we get the first piece and we're like walking in. And we had purchased this thing. This wasn't like give it back. Like we, we, we own the condo and we start like walking with furniture. And, you know, the stairway goes up and turn and turn. And t- like we couldn't get the furniture into the building. We could not get the furniture into the condominium. And this wasn't nice furniture. This isn't like really nice custom bit. No, no. This was like newlywed junk, really, frankly, if I could be like honest. And so it doesn't go where we need it to go. 
Well, what do you do? You have stuff that needs to go somewhere. The somewhere that you have, you have this conflict, this block, where you got to get creative. So pretty soon, we popped the windows out of the second story. We started to load furniture on top of the U-Haul into the second story. From there, we got up to the third story. It was a disaster. But hear me very carefully this morning as we talk about moving day. Quite often, when you're moving, when you're going somewhere, when you're heading in a new direction, when, you're, when you got something, you got a mission from God, you got a new opportunity, you got this lifestyle change you want to make, you're, you're going somewhere, you will have conflict. You will have blocked opportunities. You will have things that don't fit and some things that just flat out need to go away or as if what we were learning, new opportunities to take the stuff that we had and put it into the building. Because when we're moving into new places and new opportunities, there will be challenges along the way. And today, the big idea is we look at Philip in chapter 8, becoming, moving from a deacon to an evangelist, doing these new opportunities, speaking Jesus' name. He takes the conflict that he encounters, and he allows it to provide new opportunities for faith. Because every one of us in the room, this is the, this is the, the joy of the resurrection in our life, that we might be transformed. Yes, that we believe in God and you know, it's, we have these moments of saving grace where we, we call upon God and we start this relationship, but we don't believe in God just for an end-of-life safety ticket. We, we want to believe in God each and every day and that God is transforming us from glory to glory to glory and that we might be transformed as we move. And so we're going to be looking at Philip. We're also going to be looking at this kind of interesting story of Simon the sorcerer as kind of a warning. And under this big idea, and it's listed there on your notes, that God uses the conflicts and challenges of life to give us new opportunities to share faith and to become either a hopeful part of our trajectory or a warning about truncated growth. Because for each and every one of us, if we, if we find ourselves in a position where we're not continuing to grow towards God, we try to clutch and grab the stuff of our life, we're going to miss the blessing of the trajectory. So let's begin on the first point of our outline. This is the first point I want you to see, that a conflict in Acts becomes the catalyst. You have your Bibles open or your Bible app open. Look at verse 4 with me. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. We're going to just stop right there. So those that, had been, uh, those that had been scattered went about preaching the word. This is the beginning of the diaspora, of the spreading out. Now, Acts 1.8, go into all the world. And here we are, eight chapters, and the disciples haven't moved yet. They haven't moved. They've been doing big things in Jerusalem. That's where we always begin our witness. Before we worry about our international partners in Costa Rica, I got to make sure that, that God has changed me. That, that my marriage or, or my, with my roommates or my workplace, that I'm constantly trying to incorporate the truth of God into my Jerusalem. We can't be a witness there before we're a witness here. And so the, the, the disciples are, are taking care of God's business in Jerusalem. Peter's preached. Thousands have come. But as often happens, conflict arises. Because when you're, when you're preaching God's name, when you're living into this trajectory of faith, you will have conflict. You will experience difficulties. You will show up to a condo with a U-Haul full of stuff and it doesn't fit the way you had thought. And maybe that's just a metaphor for what next season you're stepping into or challenges with relationship, challenges with vocation, challenges with children, whatever, whatever it is. This is what it means to be alive. 
But the, the disciples here in, in Acts, that as they're persecuted, as they experience conflict, they leave preaching the word. It's very, very important to see. Because what could be disheartening for some becomes an opportunity for their faith to grow when you experience struggles and challenges and disappointments, as we all will, it becomes opportunity. Opportunity for more faith, for God to do more, even through your struggles, or opportunity at times for our hearts to grow cold and bitter and struggle. And so Philip models that it's this crisis happening in Jerusalem, this literal crisis where, where Stephen in chapter 7 has just been put to death. He'd been martyr. Martyr in Greek means witness. He had bear witness to Christ and it cost him his life. Because when we're really speaking about what Jesus is doing in us, it's going to mean things will get hard sometimes. Like we need to be putting ourselves in places where our witness of Christ makes it uncomfortable. Always in relationship, never with the heavy hand of evangelism, but in relationship saying, this is what God's done in me. And maybe he could be a blessing in your life as well. And so for Philip, this conflict happens, but then look what happens here. The conflict becomes the catalyst to Philip's movement. It's an incredible moment here in the story of the gospel. The conflict becomes the catalyst. And when I say catalyst, you understand this is the catalytic moment. This is the, this is the, the moment of change. That the catalyst for change happens for Philip in the middle of the conflict. And when you read the Bible, though we sometimes want it to be others, we're reminded time and time and time again that God's story is furthered oftentimes, not despite conflict, but right in the middle of it. The story of Abraham and the story of Moses out there in the desert feeling, feeling like shame and feeling like God had forgotten him, 80 years old, and God finds him and gives him a new purpose in the middle of the conflict and the prophets. And now with Philip, the conflict becomes the catalyst. It's always been this way. And many of us in the room, myself included, we, we have this tendency, this predisposition to deify or to lift up a, a conflict-free life. We, we want there to be no conflict in our marriage. We want there to be no conflict in the workplace. God, I'm willing to do all sorts of things, but if you could just remove the conflict, then I could do something great for you. But God's best stories are often written in the middle of the conflict. The conflict becomes then the catalyst for the great change. We see this all the time with marriages. Oh man, we're just fighting. And I tell them, well, that's good news because you both still really care about the things on your heart. And the, the biggest struggles in your marriage could be the catalyst for deeper intimacy. Of course, it can also be the catalyst for future disengagement, but this is a faith-building exercise that in the middle of the conflict, we can go there and say, let's work on this stuff and build something new. In our vocation, stay at home or in the workplace, this has a ton of application this has a ton of application. There's conflict, and then we're like, well, if I had a different job, a better job, a higher paying job, that somehow the conflict would avoid me. It won't. It doesn't. It never has. And so instead of us deifying a life that never has challenges, never has conflict, God is asking us to be reminded this morning in the telling of Acts 8 that it's in the middle of the conflict that the gospel is spread out. Oh, we knew this. Acts 1, go into the ends of the earth. What made them go? What mission, what vision, what three-point sermon? It's not there. It's the conflict that pushes the gospel out. Do you see it? It's very helpful 
It's been very encouraging for me this week. I've actually taken that slide. I put it as my, my screensaver. Because I, like you, wake up every day and it's like, why does this need to be so difficult? I mean, these, these little people we're raising, you're so, you're so small, but you're so loud. And why, is it, why are we arguing about everything? Right? In the middle of these conflicts, they become an opportunity for discipleship. And then we blow it and then we say, well, this is what it looks like to confess. I'm sorry, I yelled at you. In our marriages or in our singleness, in places of work, for people that have, this is a ton of application, people kind of in this late third of their life. Okay, I've been through relationships and I've been through vocation and now what, God? It's conflict. And it can be the catalyst for deeper understanding what God wants to show you. This is what Jesus says in Luke 21. He says, they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you to synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. But this is what Jesus says in Luke. It's mind-blowing. Like, this should be our tattoo, every one of us. Jesus says, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. It will lead. The conflict, the struggles, the challenges will lead to opportunity for testimony. Or also for disengagement, if we're honest with ourselves. And so it's right here where Philip goes preaching the good news. He doesn't leave with a bad attitude, leave with Debbie Downer. Well, I really wish we were still in Jerusalem. He goes preaching the good news of the kingdom. And it says in verse 8 that there was great joy in the city due to the deliverance. Great joy. So this is a, I mean, this is a really challenging word. It's time to move. Oftentimes it's, it's conflict and challenges that, that kind of send us into new places. But as we go, that we need to be go, going, preaching the kingdom of God, preaching the good news of what Jesus has done in us. And that our calling oftentimes is born out of conflict. This is good news if we're, we're heading into a new job and leaving that old one behind. It's a much harder word if there is no new job. That right there into the job that God's already given me as a stay-at-home parent or in a vocational workplace, I'm trying to be the light. You all are the hands and feet of Jesus. I've said it a number of times, and I'll continue to say it. The people will see Christ, not because of the preaching ministry of a church, but because of the vocational ministry of its people. That means each and every one of us, as we're on mission in the workplace, as we're on mission in our neighborhoods, we get to bear witness And we do it with great joy in the middle of whatever struggles come our way. And this is a challenging word, but here's what Jesus says in John 16. In the world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so with faith, God can use the worst things in our life for ultimate good and God's ultimate glory. Not easy at all. And if those words come easy, we've got to kind of check our heart. Because that's when we start speaking Christianese. And start speaking in cliche and in rhetoric. No, this doesn't feel good that marriage feels really hard right now. No, this doesn't feel good that I'm, I'm out of work or that this job. I mean, this stuff doesn't feel good. People were dying in Acts 7. Let's not kind of whitewash history here. But in the struggles that the church faced there in Jerusalem, it created opportunity to take the gospel out. And so this is where we can unpack Paul's words in Romans 8, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. 
And I'm not sure there's been a more misunderstood piece of Scripture in the New Testament. But read it very carefully. That all, those who love God, all things work together for good. It's not all good things. Conflict and challenge and, and, and things that are going on in our lives are, are not to be desired. But in the midst of those struggles, those things work together for us to understand more of God in our lives. They become opportunities for our faith to increase. And again, it's a challenging word. But it means in the middle of the conflict, we believe there's a catalyst for change. And so in the midst of the bad day, we don't just bury our hand and say, I'll do it again tomorrow. We say, right here, in the midst of this bad day, God, make me understand more of your power in my life. Allow my faith to increase. Conflict can become opportunity. When I was in high school, there was, there was a bully. I mean, he was a bully. His name was Chris. And this guy, was a, he was a stinking bully. We were freshmen, and he was a senior. And we had to cross the, the varsity football field to get out to our cow pasture where the freshmen practiced. And every time my buddies and I would start to head across the field, he and his friends would wait, and then they would take us down. And they would tackle us and smash us. And there was, you know, like brownies. You know what brownie is with, like, underwear? and stuff. It's bad. And, I mean, the bullies, like, horrible. I can laugh about it now, but there was moments where even going to school was, was hard. This guy was a bully. But the conflict that he and his friends kind of put us through actually created a little bit of a catalyst for deeper friendship. That freshman year was really painful. If you know a freshman boy, just give him a little, they know it's a hard year. And we bonded and we went through some things that allowed the seeds of our discipleship group that we still meet to this day. Conflict becomes opportunity. And this guy, what jail is he rotting in? He's the principal of that same school. <laughs> and something really amazing happened. Jesus Christ got a hold of his heart. And I talked about him a couple summers ago when we preached through Nehemiah, but many of you weren't there. I wanted to share it again because it's a very powerful story. And he shares this. He wrote me this letter. He said, Scott, it's great to hear from you. I'd like to start by apologizing for my actions when we were in high school. Right, that's like 30 years ago. Thank you. All right. Accept your apology. I am constantly reminded of God's grace because he has transformed my life. I went from a lost, selfish, and hurtful person to someone who's been changed by Christ. I think when I was in high school, I saw something in you and some other people I didn't have, and I didn't know what that was until later in life. And one of my friends walked alongside with me, and God used him to get to me. Because this is what evangelism looks like in our context, friends. It's, it's not you with a megaphone and with a track. It's you walking alongside people. This guy, Chris, continues on. I found a real joy serving the Lord with my wife. And I've been involved in Young Life for about 16 years. And God has used us to share the gospel to many high school and middle school students. I believe God has brought me back to Capitol High School to be an example of his love and his grace. It is amazing how God works and God can transform anyone. I am blessed that he changed my life. Amazing. Conflict becomes the catalyst. And when there's people that are giving us grief, we don't know what storms are going on in their lives, but we have this opportunity and a call to continue to testify of God's saving grace and trust God to, to do the fruit in their lives. And now that man is the principal at the same school, leading kids Towards Jesus, speaking good news and hope. Transformation, amazing. 
Let's continue on our study of Acts 8 and look at the person of Philip because he's this fascinating character. We're going to talk about him this week and next week when we talk about the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip, in our second point of our outline, becomes a kind of a promise. There's a promise of Philip in the trajectory of transformation in which he experienced. And every one of us in the room, no matter where we're at in our journey, every one of us longs to be on this trajectory. We don't just believe that God came for us and that faith just kind of sits dormant on a shelf. We're called to be people of transformation, not earning anything, but understanding the fullness of God's love for us. And then that changes us into all the contexts in which we go. Because we've transformed, because we're on a trajectory, we understand more of the fullness of what God wants to do with us. And so Philip here goes preaching the word into Samaria. Verses 5 through 8, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, which is also in the region of Samaria, and began proclaiming Christ to them. Crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said. As they heard and saw signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was much rejoicing in that city. Before I talk about Samaria, you know, one of the challenges with Acts is people read it purely historical. It is a history lesson, what was going on in the early church. It's also meant to be a little descriptive of our own trajectory and our own transformation, what God does in us. And, and you might say, well, yeah, if I saw this stuff, faith would be easier for me too. If I saw people paralyzed and lame that were healed, then, then I, you know, if I saw people changing, then I would be the first to be able to like fly that flag for the power of Jesus. But I just don't see it anymore. But didn't I just tell you a story of that kind of paralyzation becoming faith? Didn't I just tell you a story about someone who was, who was dead and found new life? I, I, my challenge would be for you for this. Is there's probably transformation stories going on all around you. There's one in your little handout today called Beautiful. And there's transformation going on all around. We just got to be able to see it. Maybe it doesn't look as pronounced as, as what the early church saw in Acts, but it's still happening. And if you don't believe that God is still a God of transformation and of new narratives and of miracles, you're not reading your Bible and you're not, you're not praying and seeing what God's doing in our society. Ask God to help you wake up to what he's doing in transforming people. And so Philip goes into Samaria, he's preaching the good news, and it says, with one accord they receive. Now Samaria, it's a long story, but if you've been coming to church, you understand Samaria is uh, their persona non gratis to, to Jerusalem. To, to, to Orthodox Jews. This goes back to Solomon's reign, 935 BC. There was a split in the kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. Samaria was the northern kingdom. And really that began the discord. And Samaritans were always those that kind of, they, they capitulated to culture. They intermarried with Assyrians. And, and for the, the devout Jews, the Samaritans were a picture of all that was wrong with faith. And this is why when Jesus tells the good Samaritan story, he said, it wasn't a priest and it wasn't a holy man that was carrying to the beggar on the side of the road. It was a Samaritan. And that was a jaw-dropper to first century Jewish people. And so here Philip goes. He goes into Samaria, the region of Samaria, preaching the good news. We have a map here. Some of you are visual learners. We see Jerusalem here uh, with the number one and then the cross. And, and this is where Jesus says, you be a witness here. And into Judea and into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we just, we've already talked about that, that witness always starts at home and moves out. And nobody cares about your workplace if you're a jerk at home. Nobody cares about your orthodoxy if your orthopraxy stinks. We're called to be people that think and behave in such a way that honors Christ. And we all blow it. 
But here Philip, in the persecution, his trajectory of transformation, he goes to the city of Samaria, which is in the region of Samaria, and it says that they experience the good news of the kingdom. Later, the same Philip, who will be talking to the Ethiopian eunuch on his way back to Jerusalem, this was a guy that was just exceptional. Later, we'll find him in Caesarea, have four daughters, and in Acts 24, he has a new title, Philip the Evangelist. Now, why is this shocking? Because Philip was a deacon, and a couple chapters earlier, the disciples were doing the discipling, and it got too hard to feed and clothe people, and so they, they raised up deacons. And you're just a deacon. You feed and you clothe people and you care for the widows while the real work of discipleship begins. But now the conflict happens and Philip, who's just a deacon, gets pushed into Samaria and he's preaching the good news because, friends, I don't care what the world says your name is. You're never just a... Oh, well, I'm just a retired person now. I don't, this guy talks about vocation, but I'm just retired. I, I'm just a stay-at-home blank. I'm just uh, work with my hands. You know, I'm just, a, I'm just, that's a lie. And we, for too many of us, we receive our identity by the name on our business card. And here, Philip, the evangelist, he's, he's got his jersey with his name on the back, the evangelist. What name is on your jersey? I'm not talking about the jersey that the world gives you, student, retired, mother, dating. What, what would God say when he looks at your gifts and you live those gifts out? How would God describe your giftedness? So Philip, he's, he's not just a deacon. He's speaking of what God has done in him and allows the gift in him to grow. Every one of us needs to be reminded through this act series that we, we are a vessel. We're all vessels. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. And maybe we haven't experienced something miraculous, but just in the, in the living of the day-to-day, we are vessels for the Spirit to dwell in. And so we refuse the world's identity. We refuse to say, I'm just blank. And every one of us, as a follower of God, is able to be this vessel where the Spirit lives in us and allows us to be a blessing to the world. Paul would write this to the church in Colossae. He says this in Colossians 1.27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. When Jesus says, go in my name, at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, that's, that's why we go is so that we can be part of people's trajectory. This is why we go. This is why we've gone into partnerships in Costa Rica and Rwanda and Uganda. This is why we go every Monday to serve lunch to high school students at the junction. This is why we go on Tuesday morning under the turf of Aurora to serve breakfast to to people that are in the middle of the struggle. Because as we go, we understand more of God's fullness for us. And for everyone that we meet, we want them to be on the same trajectory, saying, God's not done with me yet. But as I go, I understand more of his fullness. It's what this church has done for the last 100 years. And we don't have the the corner of best church. There's a lot of great churches in this shoreline and Edmonds and great churches all over. But this church, Bethany, for 100 years has been about this one thing. Presenting people mature in Christ. Helping us continue the trajectory. Like Philip, superseding the world's expectation 
and looking at the opportunities God gives us in the midst of the conflict is the catalyst for, for being more able to speak about the power of God in our lives. This is very, very helpful and very practical. I mean, I made the joke about, like, you know, people that are, like, this big, and it's amazing how you can get this frustrated with someone this big, but this is really, really practical for those of you raising children in the room. I mean, what is your Jerusalem? It's this little challenging tyke right now. Or for those of us like, wow, I've never had kids. What's your Jerusalem? Well, it's my, it's my family of origin. We, we spend time together every week. What's your Jerusalem? It's my workplace. I spend 60 hours a week sitting behind a desk at an engineering firm. I might be your Jerusalem, the place where God is calling you to be a blessing and to understand that the trajectory makes an impact in other people. Through a growing faith, saying, God, make me an impact maker. That's why when Anna earlier spoke about the serve day, we've done this as a church at Bethany North since we began. Since the very beginning, we said our ethos has to be about not just what we think, but what we do. And so we'd cancel church service, and we'd go and serve the community. And in June, it's the first time all the campuses are going to enter in. What's the point? The point is that as we go to schools and parks and nonprofits, a couple thousand people, we hope to be a blessing. And we hope for people to understand, not that we're perfect, but as we love others in Jesus' name, that they'll say, hey, that's a church that's trying to transform the city. We want more of that. And it will create some curiosity in the way for Jesus' name to be magnified. Because with Jesus, we can do great things. Philip models that. As illustration of this, there's uh, August 26, 1910, a woman by the name of Anje was born in Albania. She moved to Ireland, joined a covenant, and changed her name to Teresa. We now know her as Mother Teresa. And early on, before heading to, to India, she, she told her supervisors that, that she has three pennies and a dream from God to build an orphanage. Do you love that? That's her quote, Mother Teresa. I've got three pennies and a dream to do something great with my faith. Her superiors were wise and astute, and they wanted to, to caution the young, optimistic woman, and they said, they said, you can't build an orphanage with three pennies. With three pennies, you can't do anything. And her response, which was documented, ah, she said, I know, but with God and three pennies, I can do anything. With God and three pennies, I can do anything. Where do you need to be reminded that you've got God with you and God in you, and with God. Maybe you don't need to go across the world and start an orphanage, but you can be a blessing to whatever Jerusalem God has put you in. With God, we can do far more than we can do on our own. And this becomes an opportunity for our faith to increase. So we have Philip modeling that, and then we get this interesting passage about Simon the sorcerer. And this is the third point of our outline, the sorrow of Simon. Is, he, he does this horrible thing. He confuses the giver and the gifts. I'm going to read to you verses 9 through 13 and pick up a little bit later. So there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. There's all sorts of application there. The things that we think are astonishing, that aren't after God's own heart, that actually aren't transformative, we're going to move past right now. They were giving him attention. He had for a long time astonished them with the arts. But when they believed Philip, 
uh, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and he observed signs and great miracles taking place. He was constantly amazed. He begins the discipleship process. As a disciple in that era, you would, you would follow your rabbi. So, so Simon literally is just starting to follow Philip around. He's like, this is more powerful than what I have. It's something in the way that he loves God and he has God in him. I want some of that. So something beautiful is begun here. It really has. And then we get this warning in verse 18 through the end. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this opportunity to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Spirit. But Peter said, May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven. For I see you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. He's bitter, and he's imprisoned in sin, and he's trying to, he sees the power that God is doing through these regular, ordinary disciples, and he's like, I want that. I want the gifts. And he tries to buy it. It's actually where the word simony comes from. When somebody tries to buy religious gifts or religious favorites, it's not a word we use a whole lot, it comes from this character. He's trying to, to buy the gifts and, and to, to skip the giver. He's trying to, to just say, I want these certain powers from God, but I don't want to be really transformed or I'm going to have to really change my lifestyle. And we could think, man, what a fool. Like, whoa, I'm glad I'm not. It's the last time we hear from Simon and Acts. Friends, this can happen to each and every one of us in the room. We want the gift more than the giver. And we fill in the blank with our faith. God, you know, if you can just kind of help me out with this job, then I will have more faith in order to, to praise you. God, I, I'm really, you know, wanting this relationship to work out. So if you can kind of pull some strings together, then that will become an opportunity for my faith to grow. God, it's my bank account, or it's, it's my, my pension. It's, you know, whatever it is, if we, we make this the thing in which our faith hinges. We're, we're clutching and grabbing. And if this is our faith, when these things, these gifts depart from us, when somebody leaves too early, or, or the health disappears, or the job, when, when the gifts disappear, for some of us, our relationship with God deteriorates. We're called to pursue the giver and not just the gifts. As an illustration of this, a couple years ago, opening night, Husky Stadium, my friend is a football coach, he got us onto the, uh, into the Husky Stadium, opening night, and I had my son, one of my buddies had his son, another buddy, his son, three dads, three boys, going to be great. Now, we're, you know, we're going to the game, and I want him to experience the whole thing, and you know, we get there right away, and he's like, hey, dad, can I get, a, can I get some, you know, some Sprite? I'm normally the guy when you go to a restaurant, kids are like, can I get a drink? I'm like, no, that's $3 times four. You're all having water. Like nobody is getting a drink, all right? And I'll, every parent's like, uh-huh. All right, so we get there, but this night's gonna be different. This night, I'm gonna say yes. This night is so special. I want him to, to understand like how fun this is. And we didn't even pay for the tickets. He went, yeah, we'll get Sprite. I mean, it, you know, it's like two minutes into the first quarter. Hey, Dad, can we get it? And I don't, even, I don't even wait till he finishes. Sure, yeah. Sour Patch Kids, yes. Hot Dog, yes. Cotton Candy, no problem. We're up over 2,000 calories consumed. Let's go with it. You know, I'm just, I'm the yes guy tonight. I want him to have all the gifts. Because I keep thinking with more of the stuff, he'll experience the whole game. 
But it kept going. Hey, can we get a this? Can we get a this? Finally, I'm like, would you stop it? You're not going to have your fourth Sprite, all right? I, I just took them, and I, I, was, I was kind, probably not that kind, but I apologized later. And then I'm like, there's this wonderful game happening. And when you just keep wanting the stuff, you're missing the experience. Because how many of us pursue the gifts of God and not always the gift of his presence we're called as his people to desire a pre- his presence in our life, that he, he would live in us, and that we would sure want the, the house and the, the job and the relate all this stuff. It's all good stuff. He, he loves you. So hear me. The stuff's not bad. The stuff is great. We love stuff. But on our trajectory of transformation, we have this dire warning. If we become like Simon, if we start clutching and grabbing the stuff, thinking it will yield a better relationship with God, we've got our priorities backwards. We're called to pursue the giver and then receive the things that we have and be thankful. And even then when it's like, well, God's calling me to a new relationship or a new job or change is necessary, but it's got to come first from the giver with open hands, pursuing what God wants to put into us. This is what faith is. In Hebrews, Hebrews 11:1 one says this, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the insurance about what we do not see. And so here's Philip, the faithful, who's just a deacon, and yet he's sent out and he's preaching the good news and, and lives changed. And here's this other guy, Simon, that had all of the stuff of fame in first century Samaria, and he gives it all, he, he kind of loses it all because he's clutching and grabbing the gifts instead of recognizing that his life needs to be in service of someone greater than his own. His life needs to be in service to God himself. This was the real sorrow for Simon, that he didn't take the journey of growth and his faith. And so I'll ask you this morning, moving day, how is the spirit moving in your life? There's two just questions. We're not going to do anything other than just in a moment. We're going to continue in worship. And I just, I want, I want you to do some thinking and praying to God. Where might conflict in your life actually be a catalyst for deeper faith, for deeper intimacy with your children, with your neighbors, with your marriage, with your coworkers, with your future? Where is the conflict that you're experiencing and how might that be catalyst for deeper faith in your life? And then I just want to ask you the question this morning. Are you, are you pursuing the giver above the gifts? And all the stuff we want, it's all good stuff, but are we, are we asking God to be the love of our life first? You know the truly sad part of the end of this passage comes in verse 24. Simon, Simon the sorcerer, after Peter calls him out and says, you're, you're stuck in bitterness and you're stuck in bondage, You need to be free from this. You need to pursue the giver and not just the gifts. And Simon answers in just a sad, sad little piece. He says, will you pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you said may come upon me? See, Simon didn't even realize God didn't want Peter to pray for him. God wanted to hear from him himself. And so this morning, as we kind of close with a couple of worship songs, May this be an opportunity for God to hear from you. 
God the great giver of the spirit in your life, where are places of conflict that might be opportunities for real healing and real health and deeper intimacy both with God and others? God longs for you to take that journey and the conflict might be the catalyst for the change you're finally ready to experience. And where are other places where you just need to be a little bit more like Philip preaching the good news no matter what comes your way and maybe a little bit less like Simon? Might we confess this morning of places where we've deified a conflict-free life. And might we just say, God, with open hands, I want to pursue you. I want you to be the love of my life in the each and the every day. Will you pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for moments to, to pause and to study your words. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to allow your spirit to dwell in this room and, and dwell in us. And you'd be changing us, that we might be on this trajectory of transformation. Might we be people, Lord, that continue to be more spirit-led. Might we be people, Lord, that speak about your goodness, no matter what challenges we face right now. Might we be people, Lord, asking for the giver and not the gifts. Lord, may you continue to do surprising work in the narratives in which we live, giving power to our voices and health in our relationships. But God, might you be our first love, grow that hunger this morning. Lord, we want to see you, we want to feel you, we want to experience you. In your great name we pray, amen.